Hello, Great Minds. It's Friday, and that means it's time for Drinks with Great Minds in History as we get ready to look at the very document that set American freedom in motion, the ultimate breakup letter. That's right, the Declaration of Independence, all while enjoying an ice-cold Sam 76. Now this is the remastered version of this episode, not our first remastering by any means, with additional content alongside the original greatness. But you can go back and listen to the original over on the DGMH Patreon page, if for some unknown reason you want to hear how bad I was at editing and recording back when I first started the show. Side note, still not all that great. Speaking of back when, I am not drinking a Sam 76 this round, but instead a new Sam Adams beer for the remastering, but more on that later. So, obviously, everyone knows this one. I mean, it's the damn Declaration of Independence. Even still, if you've never heard about this document, you can probably figure out that it declared independence from something or someone. Or, you know, in this case, both. In this episode of DGMH, we will be running under the assumption that you have heard of this document or seen National Treasure. I mean, there really just isn't any good excuse for not knowing this one. Oh, but drinks with great minds and history, guy, it's an American document, no. One, it's Mr. DGMH now. And two, it's an international document, an enlightenment document, a fucking human rights document. Born in the New World, this document created a new world. And it was all over our Jefferson and Washington episodes, the latter of which is still being remastered itself. So the Declaration, freedom written down, a complete masterpiece of an idea, but did that idea fall short? Well, yeah, a bit. I mean, to be quite honest, it's pretty apparent now that freedom and liberty and equality are fickler, honestly, I thought it was going to be more fickle, but I was wrong, than ever imagined. For today, though, let's just focus on the document itself, try not to get angry or political, and see how it all played out. But first, it's some history for you, a reason to drink for me. It's the history of the great minds that made history come to be. Now let's start with the document itself and how such an important piece of history came into being. Quote, that these united colonies are, and of right ought to be, free and independent states, that they are absolved from all allegiance to the British crown, and that all political connection between them and the state of Great Britain is, and ought to be, totally dissolved. Sounds like a quote right out of the Declaration itself, but no, it's the Lee Resolution. A motion put forward by Virginian Richard Henry Lee and seconded by John Adams got the ball, or in this case, the vote on independence, rolling. The document, as debated and contentious as it was, was written primarily by one man, a young Thomas Jefferson, who was in his mid-twenties when he wrote the Declaration. Which is impressive, as the teacher in me knows some people in their 20s who can barely write their own name. Of course, it was actually written by five men. Three you know, one you might, and one you sure as hell don't. The big three with the greatest input were Thomas Jefferson, John Adams, and Benjamin Franklin, who worked closely to debate the draft of the original version of the Declaration of Independence, which would be devoured by the Second Continental Congress in the early days of July 1776. The next name on the list that you might know is Roger Sherman, who was actually quite a big deal in my country's founding, being the man who moderated several negotiations, not always good ones, during the creation period of the U.S. Constitution, and was one of the only people to sign all U.S. founding documents. 
The final man of the five-man dream team was a great mind named Robert Livingston. Now, I presume that none of you know who this guy is, and thus feel compelled to spend an odd, unnecessary amount of time talking about him. So as far as I can figure, he was put on the committee to represent the middle colonies, PA, New York, Delaware, and New Jersey. Specifically here, though, I mean New York, he being from, you know, one of the richest families in New York. He helped with the initial outlining and then was actually recalled by his state, and he didn't even get to sign the damn thing that he helped to create. Instead, the wealthy Livingstons of New York were represented by Philip, Robert's cousin. Livingston would later go on to serve as President Thomas Jefferson's minister to France, and he played a crucial role in the Louisiana Purchase of 1803. He was also part of the team that organized the creation of the first successful steamboat run, used for commercial use on the Hudson River. That is the Claremont, which was actually nicknamed for its birth port, which was at Livingston's home estate. He would also be influential in the commission that led to the construction of the Erie Canal. And trust me, this was all news to me too when I first recorded this episode. Like you, I always kind of ignored this guy and, you know, Roger Sherman too, but, you know, pretty neat. But let's move back to the shit that actually matters to most Americans, the Declaration of Independence. Now, the document was, in its simplest form, a breakup letter to King George III, in which the colonies, now calling themselves United States, enumerated the reasons why they thought George III made for such a shitty lover. Interesting side point, the U in United was not capitalized. At this point, it was by no means an official name of this newly formed collective of states, capital S. The reasons for the breakup were pretty simple to understand. Taxation without representation was, of course, the most famous, but others included monarchical tyranny, violation of natural law and rights belonging to all men, dissolving of legislative bodies, hindering trade and commerce, quartering soldiers, increased military presence in the colonies, limiting colonial judicial power, and really outright abolishing free self-government in the colonies. Oops, I mean states. The British also hired mercenaries and outright ignored colonial petitions and pleas for a peaceful resolution. These issues are all fine, but in Jefferson's original draft, he did make one particular point that went a bit too far. He essentially blamed George III, and by extension the British Crown, for forcing the institution of slavery upon an innocent colonial population, which was ludicrous. The reality is that under George III's reign, the first pieces of legislation for bringing about the end of the slave trade were actually signed into law. But I shouldn't really give him any credit for that. Bouts of insanity aside, he opposed the abolitionist movement and saw more than 1.5 million slaves transported from Africa to the colonies during his long 60-year reign. Again, back to the Declaration, I will try to stop straying away on these unnecessary, well, maybe they're necessary, tangents, tangents for which I always blame the booze. Now back to that statement, Jefferson was actually following an oddly common trend that Southern and to a lesser extent Northern colonial revolutionaries love to practice. I love quotes, I love finding them, digging them up, understanding them, analyzing them. And one thing that I found that the founders always did was compare their relationship status with Britain to that of African slavery, and it always drives me and my students nuts. Examples of this can be found in many other founding heroes. John Adams once remarked, when annual elections end, their slavery begins. Jefferson wrote in his original draft of the Declaration, George III has waged cruel war against human nature itself, violating its most sacred rights of life and liberty in the persons of a distant people who never offended him. And even George Washington himself once remarked, the time is now near at hand which must probably determine whether Americans are to be free men or slaves. Now, I know I'm not providing you with all the context here, but a trend is a trend, and it's not a very good trend. Washington, who did not sign the document, actually had the Declaration read aloud to rally his men in New York City as a truly miserable encounter neared. And boy, did people embrace it. Essentially, a patriotic riot broke out, and Americans ripped down a statue of King George III, which was later used to make 42,000 musket balls. 
That's ballsy. But did everyone love the idea of this breakup? Actually, no. Some, like Pennsylvania Quaker John Dickinson, despite being a key revolutionary voice and advocate for colonial rights, constantly fought for reconciliation with the king. He would actually abstain from voting for independence, leave the Congress to lead the Pennsylvania militia, and not sign the Declaration itself. Many southern colonies feared the ideals of equality that many revolutionaries called for as it threatened the backbone of their economic system, slavery. In the South had very strong, almost reliant economic ties to Great Britain, but something would push countless Southerners towards separation from Great Britain, specifically a proclamation made by Virginia Governor Lord John Dunmore. Known to history as Dunmore's Proclamation, this document offered freedom to all slaves that abandoned their colonial masters and joined up with the British. The South, fearing a massive slave uprising or losing all their slaves, quickly switched sides as many hesitant southern states flocked to the ideas of separation. Beyond that, there was even some debate in Congress as to what should come first, a foreign ally to help us win our independence or declaring independence from Great Britain itself. However, most agreed that no foreign power would take America seriously unless they were truly a separate entity. Even long before 1776, certain founders were advocating for some greater degree of autonomy and freedom from tyranny. But those works are largely lost in the large shadow of the Declaration of Independence. Aside from the fact that Jefferson plagiarized himself, John Locke, and others, Bostonian John Adams was writing under the pen name Novangelis in the years before. In his text, Adam writes, Two supreme and independent authorities cannot exist in the same state. Seemingly questioning the nature of power in Britain and its colonies, he continues, quote, If the colonies are not subject to the authority of Parliament, Great Britain and the colonists must be distinct states. Which is pretty direct. What is of even greater note is that Adams wrote this in February of 1775. Another forgotten founder that keeps coming up in my research is James Wilson, a bit too interesting for just an honorable mention, so we will save his story for another day and another round down the road. In short, a year ahead of even John Adams, Wilson published his Considerations on the Nature and Extent of the Legislative Authority of the British Parliament. In this, Wilson questioned the authority of Parliament to pass laws in the colonies, given that Americans had no representation in Parliament. Historians consider his work of equal importance to the writings of others mentioned here, but what is even more intriguing is that he was writing this not in 1774 when it was published, but all the way back in 1768. Although he eventually would, in the beginning he was not advocating for separation. Wilson was part of just about every major moment in the founding years of the USA, but that will have to be a story for another day. Regardless of all this, the Congress still needed support of another large group, the people, and nothing did more to persuade the teeming masses towards independence than Thomas Paine's common sense. This 47-page pamphlet put the ideas of independence in plain speech and made it clear for countless to see. It was simple phrases like, There's something very absurd in supposing a continent be perpetually governed by an island. Paine defined the essence of common sense himself, saying, I offer nothing more than simple facts, plain arguments, and common sense. I mean, things like that just make sense to me. Another thing that makes sense to me is another quote from Common Sense, quote, It is of the utmost danger to society to make religion a party in political disputes. That mingling religion with politics may be disavowed and reported by every inhabitant of America. Seems like Americans could use a little common sense today. Either way, Payne's work and story are interesting. When looking at the population size of the U.S. in its day, about 2.5 million potential readers, most of whom could not really read, it is one of the best-selling books in American history and often noted as the best-selling book still in print today.
Historian Gordon Wood, who I very much enjoy, had said this of Common Sense, quote, It was the most incendiary and popular pamphlet of the entire revolutionary era. My point in saying all this is that collective efforts, not a singular person or idea, pushed Americans towards their destiny when on July 2nd, not July 4th, that motion to vote on the Declaration of Independence was put to the Congress by Richard Henry Lee and accepted unanimously by all states, New York abstaining from the vote. For two days, the Congress debated and rewrote Jefferson's text, and finally approved the document on July 4, 1776. The rest, as they say, is history. Or was it? Today, the Declaration stands firm as one of the several pillars of American freedom, even human rights. But on July 4, 1776, Thomas Jefferson, the author of the document, had little more to write in his diary than the fact that he bought a thermometer and several pairs of women's gloves. Nothing on the big vote, nothing really on the text at all. In a Stanford News interview, historian Caroline Winterer notes, quote, You'd be surprised how many letters were sent and received on July 4th that had nothing to do with independence, even in 1776. Unsurprisingly, many people were more concerned with the military operations in the North, as General Washington positioned his soldiers of the Continental Army. I guess that is reasonable. I mean, who cares about the Declaration if you haven't yet won the damned war? Another Stanford historian, Jonathan Janap, notes that, quote, For well over a decade after it was written, it was largely forgotten and ignored. He continues, quote, Rarely during the late 1770s and the 1780s was the Declaration publicly read or celebrated. Instead, most Americans celebrated their state constitutions. Again, I guess that is reasonable. The federal government was more of a comical joke than a governing body in these decades. Of course, the document's ideals were not only forgotten by the masses, but also denied to them as well. Turning back to Winterer, she tells a very different story of July 4th that I had never encountered. She notes that many, quote, African-American communities had taken to marking July 5th as their celebration. When giving a speech in 1852, Frederick Douglass called out the great hypocrisies of independence for a nation and people that enslaved nearly 4 million African-Americans, proclaiming, quote, this 4th of July is yours, not mine. The enslaved or even free African-Americans in the North faced threats of violence on the 4th of July, and Southerners would often hold slave auctions on the 4th to slow or deter any ideas that the Declaration was really a celebration of universal liberty for all mankind. So reality time, women, African Americans, American Indians, and so many other groups were inherently denied the ideals of life, liberty, and the right to pursue their own happiness to choose their own path. The document, the moment of separation, and the longevity of the Declaration's ideals are certainly something to be celebrated, if not venerated, today. But it is always important to remember that liberty had to be first obtained, continuously fought for, and always cherished. That the fight for equality, liberty, and freedom for all continued on for centuries, hell it continues today. Liberty is something that if not protected can and apparently will be stripped away. Now onto the drinks. Continuing with the original trend, I am sticking with Sam Adams. Boston was a hotbed of revolutionary activity. Sam and John Adams are at the center of independence, plus I had some in my fridge. Summer is here in Florida, well it pretty much always is, but Sam Adams released a Summer Rattler, and I must say I'm not a fan. I don't like lemon rattlers, I always forget that fact, but I am quickly reminded in the first sip. Porch Rocker by Sam Adams was no exception. I guess my opinion here is swayed. It is not a particularly bad rattler by any means. Show co-hosts Kelly and Luke both enjoyed it, but I did not. This is probably my least favorite Sam Adams to date, and I love pretty much every other beer they put out. 
Not really planning on formally rating on Chaser episodes, nor do I really ever, but I can say that I definitely won't be returning to this. That is until the next time I forget that I hate Rattlers. Well, that's it. If you enjoyed this episode of Drinks with Great Minds and History, then please consider leaving the show a great, hopefully five-star review wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at DGMH History, and be sure to join in the conversation over on the DGMH Facebook group. Plenty of fun chats and memes shared there. If you are all caught up in looking for even more DGMH or you just love the show, then we hope you'll consider supporting the show over at the DGMH Patreon page. Their listeners can get access to even more great content, including bonus Psych and Shots conversations, pre-game chats, extra moments with Mr. DGMH, and now our Chats series, which includes Cullen Chats China, where Cullen chats with me about China's rich history that I know next to nothing about, and Pete Chats Portugal, where Cullen and I continue our chats, but now on the rich, forgotten, and often ignored history of Portugal. So tonight we raise a glass to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness for all Americans. The idea wasn't realized immediately, and equality wasn't truly achieved for almost 200 years, but this document forever changed the political and intellectual landscape of the world, inspiring liberal revolutions and constitutions from Haiti to Venezuela, from Spain to Brazil, and don't even get me started on the mess of the French Revolution. The document created a dream of opportunity and equality for all. It inspired men and women, blacks and whites, all peoples to fight for the greatest ideals of American independence. That all are in fact created equal. That all are endowed with natural rights. That despotism, tyranny, and oppression should have no place in the United States of America. Lincoln cited the Declaration as America's great unfinished work. Sometimes it feels like we approach the finish line in this country only to take a few steps back. The Declaration is a living document. It is the duty of all Americans to keep its ideals alive for every American. And, given that the average lifespan of an empire is around 250 years, and we are approaching year 246, I don't know, maybe we should, hmm, go and do that. Cheers.